It's time for episode 233 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 21st, 2018. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that, unlike your doctor's office, is actually respectful of your time. I am your host, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet and across many doctor's offices by my co-host, Dan Warren. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. Are all doctor's offices connected? Is there like some central hub there, or is that how that works? Yeah, it's like portals between them, um, oh, but right. you just have to know sort of the right way you have, to go. You have to get a referral. I understand. <laughs> well, we should, of course, introduce our awesome guests. I am joined to my left by Shahid Ahmed. He's a video game developer and co-host of Remaster right here on Relay FM. How you doing? I'm great, and thank you so much, Mike. I think this is the first time we're actually speaking live, you and I, although we've chatted many times online. Yeah, it's, it's good to have you here. It's lovely to be invited back. Thank you so much. And to my left, a reporter for CNN, uh, my good friend, Heather Kelly. Hi, Heather. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me again. I'm, I'm surprised you let me come back. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the dirt you have on me i gotta be honest <laughs> i've got a lot <laughs> oh man uh well it's it's wonderful to have you all here and of course those of you listening probably know how the show works if you don't we've got four topics we got four people and we should get going and i get to start uh i want to talk about facebook do you have a facebook account are you planning on deleting that account uh what are your thoughts on this whole uh data scandal after the cambridge analytica thing as well as people sort of realizing just how much data facebook uh shares with third parties and uh how much your friends uh, apps and services share your data with third parties. It's a little troubling. Shad, we'll start with you. I don't really have a huge problem with Facebook personally because I've always been suspicious about <laughs> anything that provides a free service. You know, if, if something is free, there's a catch, right? I, I, I don't know how other people feel about that, but certainly the way I look at it is well, you know, it's an online service. It's cool. This is what it lets me do. What's the price? The price is, well, any data, any metadata, any friends, etc. It's it's all going to be out there. The way I treat the internet and the way I've treated the internet for quite some time now is that anyone can access anything you ever put out online. Something's going to come back and haunt haunt you or embarrass you or be held against you or used against you or subverted or twisted. And it's going to be done in real time. Right. That's the price of using the Internet and kind of having been involved in technology for decades now that that is you still get caught out by it, even though you're experienced. I feel a little bit uncomfortable about so many people using these services without really knowing what the consequences of using those services are. So, yes, I do have a Facebook account. No, I'm not going to delete it, but I'm also extremely careful about what I put on my Facebook. I try not to do too many likes i think i may have done a few likes in the past but they would just betray me as a consumerist fool um and i'm quite happy about that you know that's that's fine uh no secrets there i don't think i'll delete my account the other thing is there, there are upsides to facebook you know it's it's a way you can connect to a lot of people you wouldn't otherwise be in regular contact with so as long as you you take those upsides 
you look at the price and you ask yourself if you're prepared to pay the price. Most people have not investigated the downsides, and that's why I think there's such a furor about the whole thing. Yeah, I, I'm totally with Shadi here. There, there's there's a balance, um, and you know, like the old adage says, if you're not you know paying for the product, then then you are the product. And in the case of Facebook, that's definitely true. Uh, and you know, not everybody does do that sort of thorough consideration when signing up for these free services. But perhaps this will be something that encourages people to think about that future. Uh, you know, in going forward. For me, uh, personally, I have a Facebook account. I, I don't use it very much. It's mainly for staying in touch with people who, as Shahid said, I, I wouldn't talk to in other forms, um, or at least not as frequently. I have a lot of family on there who it's just a convenient place for us all to sort of gather, exchange photos, um, and the like. And it's not like I'm going to get my family to sign up for, you know, Slack. It's just it's just not going to happen. Um, so there, there's a trade-off there. And, and I, I'm aware of what I get out of it. Uh, I'm also aware of what I put into it. And I'm very careful about what information is, is entered anywhere on that service. And as of this news, I went and ter- made sure I turned off a whole bunch of stuff, this whole like platform stuff. So it's there if you know what to look for. But a lot of people don't know what to look for. And I think that's what is most illuminating about this. I, yeah, I think this group of people here and the people we're talking about are the most are, are going to have the best possible Facebook hygiene. Like, uh, we'll kind of have the best case scenario. We're sharing the least amount of our data. But the majority of people who use Facebook around the world are like, they're just not us. Um, and they're also not, they're not going to quit. And I don't know if, if our quitting Facebook would really help them. Um, it could end up hurting them if they, if that's like how they connect to their families, if they use it for work. Um I use it a ton for work. I personally am going to keep my Facebook account. Uh, but yeah, I mean, change has to come. So I, I don't know if it's going to come from everybody kind of walking out on Facebook. It, it might have to be a bit of collective outrage and oh, government regulation. We'll see if that <laughs> could possibly happen. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I think maybe it would be good for a lot of people to quit Facebook. I just I really don't see it happening at all. Uh, all, all good points, especially, uh, th- those last ones there, Heather, I was, uh, sort of, you know, down on Facebook yesterday. I had just written an article about how to, uh, keep your friends, Facebook apps from taking your data and sharing it with those third parties and was pretty annoyed. And so I was on, I'm, I'm hardly ever on Facebook. I just pretty much share work links there. And I was on there because of that. And my grandma uh, popped up in uh, Messenger, and she said hello. And then she was talking to me, and she said, I haven't been on here in forever, but I just got back on to thank people for my uh, birthday wishes. And I'm reconnecting with old friends, and we're setting up lunch dates. And uh, my grandma, not too terribly recently, uh, we lost my grandpa. And so like her being able to hang out with other people is fantastic. And like, that was my moment where I had to stop sort of being the, the like privileged person who has never necessarily gotten too much out of Facebook. Who's sort of, you know, hoity toity about the whole thing and say like, they're, everyday people who do get uh, things out of this and may not ever like understand Twitter or whatever other apps are out there. And so I do think that this is, this has to be a moment uh, more where we are helping people like better understand how to use their data rather than necessarily being able to delete their Facebook account for whatever reason, because yeah, many people need to use it. So um, all good answers all around. Let's go to our next topic, which comes from Shahid. So more good news. 
Amnesty International <laughs> says that Twitter violates women's human rights. This is Amnesty International. This is a big deal. What could Twitter do today to make things safer for women who use Twitter? For me, the big answer would be listen to and believe them when they file complaints of being harassed. Uh, because so often I see posts from, from friends who say, yeah, I reported this person and I got an email back saying this does not violate the terms of service, etc. Uh, and I don't think, you know, it's a combination of both Twitter not taking those things seriously enough uh, and also not providing enough tools to make it easier for people to control what they see and what they don't see. Um, there's been you know, a lot of talk over uh, the last couple of years since Twitter started verifying users that the tools available to verified users should be available to more people, which is to say it, you can filter out based on certain things like a person doesn't, you know, account doesn't have a profile picture or a uh, phone number uh, attached to it, which helps you filter out a lot of people who are trying to sign up and stay as anonymous as possible. Um, you know, filtering for only certain types of replies that you see in your timeline. So making those tools more broadly available would definitely help, but I, I think the number one thing is to to be for them to be more uh, more responsive when people make these uh, reports of people being harassing uh, or otherwise you know problematic, and and that seems like that's that seems to be really hard for them for whatever reason. So that's a, a thing I think they need to to jump on. I I can't believe I'm going to defend Twitter for a moment. This is unusual. Um, <laughs> As a woman on Twitter, uh, they have actually, and again, as you said, a lot of these tools are coming to verified users. And so I don't know if my experience really reflects what other women have to deal with, but things have gotten much, much better over the past, I would say, six months to a year. They've been rolling out small fixes and small tools, and um, it's way less annoying. Um, I, I see far fewer replies in general, but the ones I see are, you know, not terrible or death threats, and that's that's great. <laughs> so... Um, if they could take what they've done so far, rolled out to all the women. Um, and I mean, reporting things to them is terrible. And I wonder if it's a manpower issue, if they need to just just invest in a bunch of people to come in and start like going through these complaints. Um, right now, a lot of the tools put the burden on the person being harassed to kind of clean up their own timeline to clean up their mentions to to say who's bugging them if if there was a way twitter could actually be a little more proactive um and kind of find these accounts because i'm sure they are repeat offenders um and and do a little more on their side so it's not just left for us to do with our free time because who doesn't love filtering out death threats on filter on uh, twitter at night it's it's everybody's favorite hobby um if twitter could just pick up the slack that would be amazing i know one way that they could do uh, quite a number in a short amount of time. Uh, just ban men uh, from Twitter. <laughs> um, but in the event that that doesn't work, then I think is we, we've already sort of heard some of the main things that need to happen. It's about taking things seriously and believing what people are saying in those reports and um, just making that reporting system better and trying to find a way to make responses happen quicker. Um, there was a situation involving a family member being cyberbullied in a pretty terrible way that I uh, had sort of gone through the reporting system and tried to help get the tweets that were being posted and images being posted removed. And 
it was an embarrassing amount of time uh, that it took Twitter to respond to that situation. So these things have to happen quick and they have to uh, happen decisively. They do have some processes in place now, it seems, that keep people from just like getting kicked off Twitter and then creating a new account immediately from their current IP address and all that kind of thing. So more of that and uh, being better about responding. Yeah, it's difficult. You can't just throw resources at problems like this. For too long, with the internet, we've treated it like the Wild West. We actually do have systems in place in the real world, like libel laws, you know, <laughs> like slander laws and so on that prevent this kind of thing from happening. And it's not, you know, the whole freedom of speech thing, that's just a red herring. Because you don't have the freedom to make death threats in normal civil or civic discourse. It's, you just can't go there. You'd be in trouble very, very quickly. So I think there's an education process that needs to happen for young people because it's not, it, you know, I, I don't like to say this, but it is true. It's not just women. It's girls as well. Young girls who are getting threatened. They're getting bullied terribly. It happens to boys too. Obviously it happens to girls a lot more. There's shaming going on. There's bullying going on. It starts at a very young age and it's not just Twitter. There needs to be a process of education and that is not an easy problem. You you can't just say, you know, just put everyone who joins Twitter into a moderation queue. Yeah, how's that going to work with, you know, half a billion plus users? How many people are they going to need to employ to moderate every single tweet if it was just about putting people into a moderation queue? It's a really, really tough problem, but it requires education in an online world that simply doesn't exist yet. There's no one out there doing it properly. Well, that is well said, and we have reached halftime, and I am here to tell you all about our friends at Squarespace. If you enter the offer code clockwise at checkout, you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. I've talked plenty about Squarespace. It is the place to let you easily create a website for your next idea, whether that's an online store, a portfolio, or a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install. There aren't any patches to worry about. You don't even have to worry about upgrades because Squarespace has it all covered for you. And if you have any questions or need any help, they've got 24-7 award-winning customer support. I still haven't seen that trophy case, but I'm waiting to. Uh, they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name for your idea. And with all of their award-winning templates, you can show off your great ideas in the best way possible. And if one of those ideas is a podcast, then you should definitely check out Squarespace. I've talked in the past about how I love how quickly they add new features and things like that. But lately, I've been on this podcast kick because Squarespace is a great way to start a podcast. Plus, they've got plenty of information and support to help you get it loaded into the iTunes store and make sure everything's working correctly. And plans start at just 12 bucks a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. Now, when you decide to sign up, go ahead and use the offer code clockwise because that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase and it will show your support for our show. Thanks so much to Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, Dan, what do you got for us? So Apple has announced that they're holding an education-focused event next week in Chicago at a high school. Uh, my question for you is, what education-related announcements would you like to see from the company? Heather? Uh, HomePod for kids. <laughs> and and it's already kind of got, like, built-in parental controls because it, it can't really do much. So it would be perfect. Um, 
I, what would I like to see? I assume it's going to be an iPad specifically aimed at education. Uh, but I, I mean, the biggest competitor right now in schools is Chromebooks. And so I think it would be interesting if, if they kind of tried to take that on directly and, and made their own inexpensive childproof laptop for schools. That would be, that would be a pretty cool thing. I'm not sure. Um, I guess to see the Apple Pencil be available for all iPad devices so that uh, kids can draw would be a fun one. Um, Other than that, any sort of uh, book updates that they make that make uh, educational textbooks like more interesting, more exciting, Um, especially I can see AR, of course, being a a big factor in in textbooks. So I guess we'll see. (laughs) Shayad, what are your thoughts? Well, I would like to see them do a high budget interactive production, which has real actors, real actresses of all ages, showing people how to be decent online. When these devices first came out, there was no connectivity. They were computing devices. They're now primarily connection devices. We really haven't learned to connect properly using these devices. We have all kinds of evolved filters for dealing with people in the real world. Sadly, some of those have become eroded over the last few years, which is a tragedy in in itself, but it's much, much worse online. So I would like to see them spend an absolute fortune showing real-world scenarios in a series of short films and then a questionnaire at the end or some kind of interactive process. Maybe it's AR, maybe it's not. I don't care. As long as there's some kind of process that involves the person going through this course answering a question how would you react is this how you do it is that how you do it just to teach people especially young people the the negative consequences of some of the things it's too easy for them to say and the positive consequences of spreading some happiness as well because that that makes a difference too if they had something like that and they spared you know absolutely no expense in producing it and had devastating consequences revealed that I would like to see them do. I know they're not involved socially um, in the way that other companies are, but they could take the lead on this given that they've already taken such an awesome lead on privacy and taken that seriously. Let's, let's do it with connectivity as well. I can see it now from the producers of carpool karaoke. Um, I, I think I'd be interested to see how they um, can further Im- uh, improve and, and update on what they've done with Swift programming and teaching kids uh, about the value of programming um, and sort of I-, I love the idea of this sort of online literacy that Shahid had suggested just in terms of behavioral responses. I think that is really important. Uh, and Apple's obviously made big inroads with um, launching projects like Swift Playgrounds to really try to get kids involved in in programming too. And so having sort of a whole well-rounded approach there in terms of grounding kids in technology, the practical aspects of it um, from programming to etiquette i think that that would be a really interesting approach all around so since they're holding this at a school especially i am really curious to see what sort of the the practical nitty-gritty uh, applications of some of these things are because too often they you know companies launch these big initiatives and then they kind of disappear and we don't really hear about them again so thanks for your thoughts on that we got one more topic heather what do you got for us 
I'm going to go a little dark. Uh, so the other big non-Facebook tech story of the week was that uh, an Uber self-driving car hit and killed a pedestrian in Arizona. There was a safety driver behind the wheel. And I've been in these cars. They, they literally like have their hands on the wheel, their feet on the pedals, ready to brake. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I'm sure there'll be an investigation. And Toyota, Uber, and I'm sure some other companies have stopped self-driving car tests on public roads as a result. I mean, this is going to come up. We've been waiting for this to happen. Is the public going to accept that some people might get hurt or even die while we're developing this technology, which in theory will be much safer? So if there's one thing we know about the public as a whole, it's never logical. Um, Like it's the farthest from a Vulcan that you could possibly be. And that's unfortunate. Um, In 2015, according to the CDC, there were an average of 103 motor vehicle deaths. um, And those motor vehicle deaths had humans behind them. So in on an average day, there were 103 people who died from a motor vehicle for the first time ever that we know of a self-driving car hit and killed a pedestrian. So on that day, a hundred on average, 103 people had died with a person behind the wheel. The it's, it's clearly and obviously and logically a lot more safe and yes, we've got way more testing to do. And yes, there's a big difference between, you know, putting them in the little um, fun zones that they set up to do testing versus being out in the world and, and working there. But there's a big difference between somebody who can't resist looking at their phone and being distracted by the hundreds of other things that humans are distracted by at every given minute versus a computerized system that does one thing, which is focus on driving. So... The public is not logical, but if we look at the facts, they're there. And I would rather have, as grim as it is, one death in three years than 103 deaths every single day because humans are faulty and uh, don't do a great job of paying attention. The issue I think here is not so much the trade-off between some people dying versus loads of people dying. I think the issue here is that a human being was not involved in the decision or the lack of a decision in somebody dying. A computer made the call or didn't make the call. And that's what people find incredibly creepy. Of course, the people um, who are the family of the person who was tragically killed are not going to care about the arguments right now, which is, which is a shame because maybe they should be listened to. But you have, I guess you have to put that against people's natural revulsion towards the idea that a computer could make a call about who gets to die and who gets to live in a potential car crash. Because imagine a scenario in which you have a self-driving bus full of children and then you have a whole bunch of pedestrians. Something happens that the computer, the AI, did not predict. Who's making the call? The other thing is that we're feeding these systems with as much data real world data as we possibly can and hoping for the best now that's fine because most of the time fewer deaths will happen but the problem is human beings are incredibly good at making decisions when no data is available or no prior data is available in those situations even in extremists human beings have been known to make heroic calls 
Could you trust an AI to do that? Could you trust an AI to improvise? Perhaps this is a totally hypothetical question. Here's the other thing. We talk about drunk driving, right? Drunk driving causes a lot of lot of deaths. You know, sleepy driving causes as many, if not more, deaths. So if you had uh, an autonomous vehicle, this is, by the way, this is me shifting moral track here. I don't know if you noticed. I'm <laughs> rather brutally. If, if you have a tired driver and an autonomous vehicle realizing that the driver is tired, takes over and prevents an accident, what you won't see in those situations is, hey, guys, life saved as a result of an AI taking over. We don't see that. We don't see in the testing how many potential accidents were stopped because of human fallibility. So that's another way of looking at the equation, I think. I think that it was inevitable um, that there was a death related to this from you know, a pedestrian death related to this. I think it's just to Shia's point exactly like there, when there's no data, um, you know, you can't be a perfect system, right? You can't predict everything. And so sooner or later, this was going to happen. And and this has always happened in technological innovation, right? I mean, you know, we didn't send people to space with with no fatalities. We didn't start creating planes with no fatalities. Um, it's always happened to a certain extent. And I think, you know, also, Shai had hit the, the nail on the head with this whole, like, people have this antipathy to the idea of a computer which is a you know compassionless device making these decisions, even if it might be the correct decision. There is something uncanny valley about it that makes people really uncomfortable. Um, and I think I, I'm very skeptical about self-driving cars, and part of it is just the, the fallibility of uh, technological systems, which may be still better than the fallibility of people. Uh, but at the end of the day, I still have a lot of questions about how such uh, technology is actually going to work. I, I do think that harnessing this technology to aid and assist drivers, as we've been doing for the last decade or more, uh, in terms of creating better safety systems that can supplement what a human driver is doing, is absolutely and unquestionably the direction this should be going. As far as whether or not that should eventually mean computers taking over entirely, like I said, I'm a little more skeptical on that. But uh, I think you're going to see all these self-driving programs six months from now or less start up again. I don't think this is going to stop anything. Interesting. Uh, you, you mentioned kind of, you know, space travel and, you know, early fatalities. I think one, one difference we're going to see is that th like the person involved in this case and probably in future cases is they were just a pedestrian. They weren't actually involved. They weren't a volunteer. Um, they didn't accept any risks. And I think, uh, I mean, we're definitely going to keep charging ahead with self-driving cars, there's going to be more injuries. But I do wonder if they rushed to test on public roads a little early um, and started involving people who, who didn't know they were involved in, in the early tests um, a little early. And so that'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I think that, you know, the families involved, the next step will probably be lawsuits. And I do wonder if, if that's going to kind of put a chill on things, if they're going to sue the companies, if they're going to sue the states, for allowing the companies to test like that. I, I, I don't know if it's acceptable. I'm, I feel like it's inevitable as well, and it's going to happen. But I, I wonder if maybe they'll take a step back and do you know more closed course tests, um, less public road testing for a while. Um, and what I would also like to see is some of this money and innovation kind of focus on public transportation every now and then. I, I feel like we're putting it all into mm. self-driving cars because oh, that's yes. where the money is going to be. 
but my God, just like fix my bus and my train. That, that would be amazing. With that, we have reached the end of the episode and we have just enough time for a bonus topic, but I would love to tell you all about a new sponsor here on Clockwise. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by our friends at Simple Contacts. So it's pretty great when an app takes a tiresome task and makes it fuss free, especially when you get that alliteration. And Simple Contacts does this by being the easy way to renew your contact lens prescription. You're going to be able to reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. All you need to do is complete the online self guided vision test in less than five minutes from wherever you are right now. Simple Contacts has all the lens brands you love with options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, and even those of you who want colored lenses and loads more. Now, the vision test is just 20 bucks. Just for comparison, an appointment without eye insurance could cost you over $200. It is important that we note that this is just a vision test. It's not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. I was able to give this vision test a try and it's just, it's a lot of fun. So you give the, the app access to your microphone and to your camera and it walks you through these steps. It's like checking your eyes for redness and then you set the phone down and you walk away and it shows you like, oh, you're nine feet away. Okay. Finally, you're 10 feet away. And then there's a person on there asking you to read back the letters on the screen. And of course, it keeps you from having to take a trip to the eye doctor for a vision test. So pretty neat stuff. As a listener of this show, you can get $30 off your contact lenses. You just go to simplecontacts.com slash clockwise or enter the code clockwise at checkout. Again, that's simplecontacts.com slash clockwise or use the code clockwise and you're going to get 30 bucks off. Thanks so much to Simple Contacts for, sup- for sponsoring this show. All right, my bonus question for all of you. Which do you prefer, cold beverages or hot beverages? Hot. I think I'd have to say cold. Uh, I, uh, uh, cold beverages, so I don't die. I'm going to have to go with, with hot beverages. Uh, well, that's the end of the episode. All that's left is to thank our awesome guests. Shahid Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us here on Clockwise. It's always a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. And Heather Kelly, thanks for coming back. It was a hoot. Until we're back next time, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.